All right. We're ready? Uh, good morning, everybody. Before I do the invocation, um, I got this gift from one of my best friends, and in it, it's called uh, Every Moment is Holy, and has a bunch of different prayers and liturgies and that kind of thing, and I was reading through it because one of the things that I've been reflecting on for this year is intentionality, so it's really easy for us just to sort of gather and do what we do and then leave and do what we do, and so for this, I really wanted to read this prayer of intentionality. So if you could join me in that, just however you want to do that, close your eyes, keep your eyes open. But I am going to read this, and then we will sing together. Um, this is called, it's a liturgy. I'm going to, we're going to do it as a prayer. It's a prayer to begin a purposeful gathering. Would you pray with me? And so are we gathered here, uniquely in all of history, we particular people in the singular time and place. Accomplish your purposes among us, O God. Tune our hearts to the voice of your Spirit. Wake us to be present to you and to one another in these shared hours we are given. For it is you, O Lord, who have so gathered us from our various places, and you alone who know our hearts and our needs. Among us are some who, are, who arrive anxious, some who are lonely, some who suffer pain or sorrow. May we in our joys find grace to enter the sorrows of others. Among us are some who, are, who arrive rejoicing, hearts made light by good news, good health, glad anticipation. May we in our sorrows find grace to embrace the joys of others. Let us prize these moments and care for one another deeply, for each of us in our relationships to one another are precious and fleeting. They are precious and eternal. Breathe upon our gathering, O Spirit of God, Grant each of us a place to humbly receive and to faithfully serve, that we might know in this brief gathering a foretaste of that greater communion yet to come. O Father, enlarge our hearts. O Spirit, expand our vision. O Christ, establish your kingdom among us. Be at work even now, O Lord. May your will in us in these hours be accomplished. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Would you join us in worship? We are starting a new series in Colossians, and so um, today is a little bit of background, so I'm going to do a little bit less in the actual text, just so this text can make sense. Um, if you do have a bulletin, I'm going to draw your attention to it, not right this moment, but just so that way you have it out, and where we'll be in, on page 956 in the Red Bibles, um, in case you want to follow along. Um, so as many of you know, last year, uh, I was just dead set on doing Colossians, and it just kept on getting pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, I think for like four or five months. So finally, I get to do it. And uh, there's something about the timing of things. Uh, I don't know if, if you've ever had an experience in your life where you think now is the moment, and then it quickly fades away, <laughs> Right? Um, and then when it does happen, if it happens, you're like, oh, that's why. Um, and that was kind of my experience uh, last Saturday when Papa Joe was over at my house. So Papa Joe had just arrived. It was like, I think, 6.30 or 7 o'clock at night. And if you've ever driven from Arizona, you know that's a pretty long drive. And it could be kind of monotonous and boring. So we're sitting there, and he has his water. I have my water, and we're just kind of talking to each other. And he's eating, he's, he's such a hard person to provide for. He wanted a peanut butter sandwich. 
So he's eating his peanut butter sandwich. And we're just sitting there talking. He looks pretty tired. And there's just this pause of silence. And he's like, wow, it is really quiet. I was like, yeah, it is. And we just kind of sat there in the silence for a minute, just kind of drinking that in. And then, you know, he does his Papa Joe little chuckle. And he's like, I guess it's, it's so silent because I've been on the road for so long. And so he had been experiencing a lot of road noise. And especially if you've done that drive before, you know it is a lot of, between the semis that almost kill you and the road noise, it is an arduous journey. And I felt like that was when we were just sitting there and we were drinking in the silence and he was talking about the road noise, I was like, man, that is a perfect sort of example of what's going on in the letter to the Colossians. I mean, I don't think there's a better sort of metaphor to summarize what this letter is all about. Because realistically, this is a book about noise. And I'll unpack that, obviously, but I want to talk about that for a minute. Um, so I have a question for you, that, not so that you can talk, but remember how I said at the beginning of the service that I really want to be intentional. I really, really want to be intentional with this series because I feel like it's something that we all need, including myself. So here's the question that I, I want you to honestly consider. Go ahead, you can put that up, Tom. This is a question. What is the noise in your life? And so uh, I, I mentioned the bulletin. I actually put, to, to unpack this a little bit more, uh, life is full of noise. What are we listening to? What is shaping us? influencing us, guiding us, directing us, bringing texture to our life. So I just want you to pause for a moment and intentionally think through what are the things that you're hearing? It's like, what is that road noise that you're hearing that's shaping and influencing you? I really felt like actually the word, what is bringing texture to your life? Because sometimes texture can be like good, and then sometimes texture can be bad. So just take a moment and reflect on that. What, what are the things that you're hearing? What are the things that you're processing and reflecting on, healthy, unhealthy, that are shaping you? So just take a moment and reflect on that. I would suggest writing it down because I'm hoping over the coming weeks you'll see some transformation and change in those things. So just take a moment. I know for me, when I was reflecting on the noise that I was listening to, I think the thing that stuck out to me the most was probably a sense of disorientation and maybe insecurity. That was for me. Um, I think questioning who I am with all the transition, transitions and changes in life and moving and all of that, meeting new neighbors. When you meet new people, you kind of feel like, I've got to like posture myself so they like me. At least that's the way I am. But I don't like that. 
I, don't, I just want to be me. So this noise that I've been kind of combating in my head, it feels like those Disney cartoons with like the, the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. It's like, no, this. And, and so it's this noise that I'm listening to, and that's, that is shaping me in the healthy and unhealthy ways. Uh, that's me. I'm not going to make you say out loud what are the things that are shaping you healthily and unhealthily. But I want you to be intentional about thinking about it and reflecting on it. Because when I was praying for this series, one of the things that really stuck out to me, and I was surprised by it, honestly, wasn't like anger or bitterness, like in terms of the noise that we listen to, although we can do that, anxiety, depression, whatever. It was actually, and again, I was surprised by this, being lulled to sleep in our faith. Like just doing the status quo, just kind of saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, I'm a Lutheran, right? Kind of like Israel's like, yeah, I'm part of God's people, his tribe. I, and, and it caught me off guard because noise, and, and this is something that, that my boys have in their room, um, and maybe you've been around kids that have this, but my kids have to have a light on, and actually light has turned into like 20 lights, Right? And then they have to have a sound machine. And that sound machine lulls them to sleep. And they argue over the noise every night. And I kind of feel like that's us with our faith, is that sometimes we have so much noise that it can just lull us to sleep. And we can just go about our ordinary lives. And I feel like this particular series is an invitation to be intentional about the things that we're listening to, the things that are shaping us, the things that we're believing or rejecting, whatever, and then making conscious decisions to grow into the fullness of Christ. So to unpack this letter a little bit, I want to put up a map up here just so you can kind of have an idea of where Colossae, depending on how you want to say it. Uh, there's a bunch of different ways to pronounce it, but we'll say Colossae. Um, I... I wanted to give you a broader scale map. Um, if you can see up here where that yellow dot is, the Korea, and this is Asia Minor. Colossae is just right by the green right there. I'm not quite tall enough to reach. Um, I don't know if you can see it, but it's just this tiny little town that's just kind of set off to the side. And so um, Paul is writing this letter to these people, to the Colossian church. Uh, to give you an idea of this city, at one point, they really were a big city. They were, interestingly enough, if you picture San Bernardino in its heydays, like we've had those ebbs and flows around here, but like there's been some really good times and then bad times, and then really good times, and then March, or the Air Force Base went away, and it was just like decline again. That's kind of uh, what uh, Colossae is, is going through at the time. Actually, uh, Laodicea is the big town. And you notice here it says one of the seven churches. Laodicea is one of the churches that receives a letter in Revelation, in the book of Revelation. Um, so that's the big town. They're surrounded by big towns. And they're just kind of off to the side, going through a significant decline. And so Paul, at, at this point in his ministry, he is in prison. So he's been in prison for a while. And there's this, this church planter named Epaphras that comes in. And he's actually the one that's responsible for the church in Colossae. 
Um, which is, was interesting because Paul is, when we hear Paul, we're like, oh man, he starts all these kind of churches and does all these things. But it's the opposite. It's not Paul that is responsible for this church. It's Epaphras that's responsible for this church. And so Paul is hearing about the state of these, of these followers of Jesus while he's in prison, and he feels compelled to write to them. Um, there's a couple important things that I want to point out about this, and I'll unpack it with the text, but um, one of the things is, is that Paul, you can see his leadership. He writes early on in the letter, Paul and Timothy. And it used to just kind of be Paul. But Paul is saying Timothy is just as important as I am. So Paul and Timothy are actually, we don't quite know if they co-authored the letter or if Paul speaks it and then Timothy's writing it. We don't quite know how that all plays out, but we know that they wrote it together. So they were equally passionate about this church and what was going on, the state of the church. Um, and then furthermore, which makes this letter even more interesting, is if you were to go into the front of the Bible here, it's the very beginning, the contents, and then you were to look under the New Testament, how many of you are familiar with the, the letter to Philemon? Philemon, Philemon, depending on how you pronounce it. I would strongly suggest you read it. So basically what happened, and I want to unpack this because this is really important and really good, um, this letter to Philemon is, is going to, to the Colossian church and Philemon at the same time because Philemon lives in Colossae. And why it's important is because while Paul is in prison, while Timothy is with him, while Epaphras is with him, there's a slave that has run away from Philemon. His name is Onesimus. And, and in Roman times, if a slave went away, uh, Romans, Roman culture and society said they have to go back to their slave owner. But obviously, Onesimus doesn't want to. So he encounters Paul while Paul is in jail. He hears about the good news of Jesus Christ while he's in jail. And his life is transformed. So Paul writes this letter because he's sending Onesimus, the slave, back to his owner. Ooh, and he's saying, and this is why I suggest that you read it, he's saying, treat him as a brother. So Onesimus, the slave, is going to Philemon, his owner, with a letter directed specifically to him, and this letter to the wider church in Colossae. You tracking with me? So this is really important. I mean, who is the ambassador that's carrying this letter? A well-known slave that ran away. He's carrying it to them, and he's letting them know, this is what Paul is saying to you. And then there's some direct challenges that Philemon is also saying. So what's, what's kind of uh, the heart behind this letter, this general, this, uh, the general heart? Well, um, I put it up here so that way you could see it, um, to get a general kind of overview. Uh, the theme of this letter is often said to be fullness, for it focuses on the fullness of the knowledge of God, or the fullness that Christians have in Christ. That's by Solomon Andrea. He's an a Afri African theologian um, that wrote on this topic. And so a lot of times when people read the letter to the Colossians, you see Paul's talking about fullness. And why is that important? So the next slide that I have has two names. There's Judaizers and pagans. So there's kind of some debate about what was going on in the city at the time. But really what was going on, they know at least for, for sure for two things. 
is that there was this attitude of Jesus plus something. So the Judaizers were saying, yeah, the good news about Jesus is good, blah, 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 but you need to live into the law. So you need to be circumcised. You need to do to be clean. You need to be perfectly Jewish as you follow Christ. So it's Jesus plus the law. And then there were some pagans that said, oh, okay, we've heard about Jesus, and that's important, but if you really want to know about the mystery of God, you've got to do these different rituals and traditions. So they're like, yeah, come on, you got to... So it's Jesus plus something. And why is that? This is a reflection uh, that I, I put, and I think you can see it in the, in the letter of Paul, from Paul, is because he's talking about false teachers, and false teachers are noise. So these people are noise. Judaizers are noise. Pagans are noise. It's all this stuff that people are hearing. Jesus plus this. Do this. Do that. Do this. Do that. Can you relate to that? Like if I'm going to do this, then I have to do that. So there's all this noise that's going around in the culture, in the time. And they're in a, there are people of decline, and they're trying to figure out what their faith looks like. I'll put this up so that way. Go ahead, Tom. So we often center our lives around the idea that fullness isn't so full. I want you to think about hunger for a second. Uh, I don't think Judah would have an issue with me explaining this. Yesterday we came up here, and I was like, we had this delicious smoked pork by Jeff. It was glorious. And I was just eating it, and I was like, yes. This is so good. But my, my eldest, Judah, he was like, no, I'm going to eat broccoli and carrots, which normally I think as a parent I would be happy about, right? Like, that's a good thing. But I'm like, but you have this. And he's like, no, 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 I don't want that. So we went back and forth, and finally he ate broccoli and bread, whatever. We left, we get home, and inevitably within five minutes, Daddy, I'm hungry. I mean, there was a spread. He was like, but I was full. I was like, well, clearly you weren't. (laughs) You know, that kind of back and forth. And I kind of feel like that's life for us, is this concept that fullness isn't as full as we think it is. Like, I personally struggle with the concept of fullness. How full is full? It's very philosophical, isn't it? Like, is the glass half empty? You've heard all that, right? But when you think of fullness, can you embrace that idea? Like, it's com- fullness is actually a statement of completion. There's no lack. There's no sort of emptiness. It is to the brim full. And so this is a reality. This is a a spiritual reality that God says fullness. But yet experientially and in our life, I think we're taught emptiness and lack and impoverishment and desire and craving and temptation. This is tension, isn't it? More, 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 more. And I I see that all the time, even in my own heart. I'm like, ooh, I like that. Well, I just got this, but ooh, I like that, you know? Whatever area that you want. More, more, more. More satisfaction, more hope, more love, more peace, more patience. More, more, more. I don't know if you can relate to that. But this is a reflection uh, that I also had, and Tom's going to put this up. I think Paul recognizes 
that what the Colossian church is struggling through and why they're listening to all this noise is because they struggle with the concept of fullness. So he's saying to them, and this is what I'm going to suggest is the, is the overall emphasis of this letter. The overall emphasis is being uh, to look to Christ for the fullness that he is and the fullness that we deeply desire and need. The fullness that we deeply desire. Part of the reason why we crave is because we desire. Like we've all had the, that young love, haven't we? Maybe, hopefully. That young love where you're like, I just can't wait to see them. Maybe you've forgotten that moment. You've been married for so long. You're like, ah, need a break, right? <laughs> Go back 40 years. I don't know, 30 years, 20 years, whatever. Or think about that delicious cheesecake where you're like, I just want more, right? It's this deep desire that we're created with internally. Like, we are made to experience fullness, and we desire it. We want to embrace it. And so we look, and we search for things to fill us up. And what Paul is emphasizing is that Christ is the fullness. So this entire letter is really about Jesus. And he, he's concerned about how they're viewing Jesus about, and, and how Jesus actually is. Because he knows that we need Jesus. And that's the challenge. Because sometimes we think, ah, we don't say this out loud. But a lot of times we posture ourselves, ah, I think I can do this by myself. I think if I just do it this way, I'll be full. The irony is I'm really hungry right now, so my stomach is grumbling. Um, we deeply desire and need Jesus. So I want to unpack just these few short two verses um, to kind of go along with this. Paul is setting the scene. So Paul, he writes, and this is, I'm going to go right into the scripture here, nine, page 956. Paul, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm just going to pause for a moment. So Paul, in pointing out what he's about to say, he's establishing, when he says apostle, he's, he's making a statement of authority. I'm an apostle. But what is he an apostle of and of who and how? Of Christ Jesus. He's already a statement of fullness. And why is this important? Um, and, I, and I've used this example before. How many of you have experienced healthy leadership in your life? Could you raise your hand? Somebody that has led you well at some point in your life. How many of you have experienced unhealthy leadership before? Well, you're like, you should not be a manager or a boss, right? You know the difference between the two. I know the difference between the two. What Paul is pointing out here is not just his authority, which I think when we look to the people that, as the examples, where we say, oh, they're not a good example of leaders. Generally speaking, it's because they're kind of narcissistic and puff out their chest and they're like, do it now. Kind of like us as parents sometimes, like, because I said so, right? What Paul is saying as a result of saying I'm an apostle isn't just his authority. He's saying, and I feel responsible for you. And that's the mark of a different sort of leader. Somebody that's saying, I'm not responsible for the planting of this church. I'm not responsible for the things that are going on, positive or negative in this church. 
but I feel responsible for you. Why? Because I love you. So he's writing to these people saying, I love you and I'm, I'm concerned about you. I care for you. Why? Because Jesus Christ willed it to be so that I would be a statement maker, an apostle, a sent one. Now he's in jail, so he's sending somebody that was in bondage with this letter to show them what freedom looks like. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Like of how God orchestrated all of that is a slave has become a brother, and he's the carrier of the apostle words to say, this is what fullness looks like. And can you imagine how disorienting it would have been for that church? Uh, I mentioned earlier that um, Paul also puts on display his type of character and leadership because Timothy, he says, and Timothy, our brother. So he's showing the co-authorship. It's not just his heart, it's Timothy's heart as well. And then I'm going to just jump right to my favorite part. Verse 2, it says, to the sinners, right? To the, to the sinners is what it says. No, I'm just kidding, Mike. It's... No. 100% right. Thank you for... I'm being Christy. Clearly, he needs to still work through that. We need to go to go. I can make a recommendation. Um, to the saints. To the saints. Not the sinners. Not the broken up people. Not the people that are carrying all the garbage and trash in their life. It says what? To the saints. And he's about to like put them through the ringer. And he emphasizes, he starts his letter to the saints. See, this is the thing about noise. One of the things that I notice about my life is that when I listen to the wrong noise, I start to question who I am and my identity and my purpose and my value and my worth. So Paul starts right off to the saints. This is who you are whether you feel like it or not. And why is that? Well, he already has said it's because of Jesus. It's because of the fullness of Jesus. That's his whole argument. This is who you are because this is who he is. Now, I want you to honestly look at yourself. Because of the noise, how do you feel about your faith? Do you feel like a saint? I'm not talking about like the venerated saints that Catholics pray to and say, oh, you're, you know, pray for me. I'm talking about you're so healed and so reoriented and so saved in Christ that Paul declares, saint. And the issue is, is that, again, this noise is so disorienting, and it lulls us into disbelief. Well, the, well you're, you had a bad day today, huh? You yelled at so-and-so. You were anxious. You were bitter. You had that thought. You said that word right? Or words. Can you relate to that? And suddenly you're walking around like, I'm just the worst sinner on the face of the earth. And Paul just emphatically declares saint. 
It's actually saying to the saints and to the faithful brothers and sisters. Now, in the Greek, it just says brothers. In our translation, it says sisters because he's addressing the entire body and he's contrasting that there are some in the midst of you that aren't living in faithfulness. So he wants, I think it's, it's a true acknowledgement. It's saying like, this is who you are and some of you are living faithfully and others of you aren't. And he doesn't call them out by name. He just acknowledges the difference between a life in fullness and faithfulness and a life that lacks. And it's important for me to point out that's not condemnation. Um, I, there are people that are in my life, in fact, I've, I, I marvel at this fact. Uh, and I had a conversation this week where I was sitting across the table from somebody at lunch, and I was just kind of having a hard day. And they looked me in the eye, and they spoke truth to me. And what do I mean by that? Is they, they spoke to me how they saw me, not how I saw myself. Have you ever had somebody do that for you? Where they can look you in the eye and they can say to you, this is who you really are and I celebrate that in you. And I feel like that's certainly what Paul's doing here is, and they're also the type of people that when you're not living into the fullness of who you are in Christ, they, they have the authority in my life to say, Sean, really? Like, Really? not condemnation, it's encouragement to live and lean into the fullness of Christ that we all get to lean into. And so he says, who are you in? How are you saints? How are you faithful? It's because it's in Christ. So you have all this noise that's around you, all this disorientation that's going on in your life. And Paul is just saying simply, you are saints that are in Christ. You are brothers and sisters. Remember, it's not to an individual. I'm not writing this or speaking this just to Christine. We are a collective body, and we receive these words as a collective body. And Paul is saying part of faithfulness looks like living into the collective body. Because if you're so used to being by yourself and listening to noise and noise and noise, you can get discouraged and disoriented pretty quickly. But if you're surrounded by people that are constantly reminding you, this is who you are in Christ, period. You kind of, you're like, yeah, okay, I am, that's right. I'm going to end with this, although this is Paul's really beginning. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So this is just the introduction. Uh, but but I, like I said, I want to end on this is because everything that Paul is going to say after this with Timothy towards the Colossian church is centered in Jesus. So picture like an epicenter, almost like an earthquake, right? Which is destructive. That's our experience with earthquakes. But what, what Paul is doing is he's doing the seismic wave where he's saying Christ is the center and grace and peace is the aftershock, right? So Christ, Colossian church, Christ, house of God, is the center he is the fullness that we desire. He is the fullness that we need, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance. And grace and peace to you. Grace, the unmerited favor of God. How many of you have messed up this week? Yeah, 
thank you, Brett. He was just like, yes! <laughs> yes, we all do. And so we know that we live and are sustained by grace. It's not by what we do, because if it was by what we do, man, we'd all be in a lot of trouble, huh? But instead, it's God's unmerited favor towards us and saying, I love you, and I just want to be with you and care for you and tend to you. Grace, you can't earn it. And because, like, when you truly receive that, it's like, um, again, I think of those times where I've been in relationships with people, and we'll go out for a meal, and it's not like we're going to go out to McDonald's. We go to a really nice place, and I'm like, well, man, this is kind of like stretching my budget, right? And they're like, don't worry, I got it. And you're like, what? Really? Okay, thank you. <laughs> and suddenly all this anxiety and all of this frustration and like, how am I going to pay my bills or buy groceries next week? We've all been there before at a certain point in time, right? Suddenly that just goes away. And you're like, that was a delicious meal, and it was for free, and it was good. And it brings peace. Now, I know that's a silly example, but grace brings peace. And Paul is saying, this is our blessing in Christ. Grace, the unmerited favor of God. You can't earn it, so receive it. And because of that, what he's talking about is the Jewish concept of shalom, wholeness, completeness, fullness. Now, we become, because of noise, we become so aware of our brokenness and all the ways that we missed up. And I love that what, what Paul and his direction to them about fullness, it's centered in Christ with the, the constant ebb and flow of grace and peace, grace and peace. So I want you this week to think about, that's why I wrote it in the bulletin. It's not some pithy little question or statement. I want you to genuinely reflect. What is the noise that you are listening to? What are the earthquakes in your life that are shaking you up? That have become the epicenter rather than Christ himself. Let me point out to you also that these shaking up that we may be experiencing, whether it's good or bad, those are real things. So whatever you're going through, that's real. But what is also real is that Christ in his fullness is in the midst of that. And he's a bringer of grace and peace. So it's that tension of, this is my experience, but this is reality. I can't tell you how many times I've thought about this this past year. This is my reality. My reality. So what is your reality? What is the noise that's listening to you? What's the texture? How are you being lulled to sleep in your faith? It's so easy. Oh, my gosh. And how can we live fully into the fullness of God? I mean, I look around at this room with, I mean, and I always get to do this with Dress a Girl, right? Like, I look at each person, and I've, I've gotten to know most of you pretty well, and some of you are new faces to me. But I've, we've journeyed with each other in some form or fashion. And then I look at these dresses, and each one is unique, right? And I think, isn't that a... a kind of a beautiful symbol of God's love is that in his uniqueness, he clothes us with grace and peace. That there's somebody that's intentionally thinking about us, praying for us, caring for us in our lives, but also, furthermore, God as Father. Because that's, by the way, how he starts it. Grace to you and peace from God, 
our Father. And how many of us love a good Father? How many of us need a good Father? That when we're feeling anxious or like we need to work towards something, He just says, pump the brakes. I love you. What does that look like? Let me, uh, let me pray for us this morning. Um, God, I thank you uh, for this letter. I thank you uh, for the timing for us, um, how you have postured us to receive this invitation of fullness because we are truly full in you, Christ. Uh, we lack nothing because you are full, you are complete. Your work on the cross was perfect in every single way. And so, God, I pray that we can um, accept that, believe that, trust that truth. Um, I pray for those of us like, that are going through moments of anxiety or, or anger or frustration or hurt um, that have, feel shaken up. I pray that... Hmm. I just pray for re refreshment and renewal right now, Lord. Now that you would be the epicenter, not all the destruction. For those of us that have questions, um, that we can sit in the silence with peace. For those of us that feel like we've been living uh, out of lack or maybe we've just been surviving, I pray that that noise would go away and that we could see our fullness in you. I know that a lot of these things are just like spiritual statements that I can make, but I pray that over the coming weeks that we can tangibly see how you're uh, showing us the fullness that we have in you, Jesus. And help us to receive that, uh, to be joyful receivers as you give, as only a loving Father could do. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.